Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161 CD150, Political Correctness, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 260, February the 5th, 1992. Honest God, Douglas Murray, and I are now going to discuss... PC, political correctness. Now, this can mean a great many things. I think, by way of background, let me say this. There is a sense in which political correctness is legitimate or the requirement that someone toe the line on a particular perspective. I believe, for example, that a Catholic or a Protestant college or school has the right to say to all those who work for it, you have an obligation here to uh, affirm those things which our particular church maintains. I don't see anything wrong with that. Again, the University of California, shortly after World War II, uh, uh, with Goodwin Knight as governor at the time, uh, demanded a loyalty oath of all faculty members. A number of them, well, not too many, a half a dozen or so, refused and it became a national issue. Ironically, not all of those were uh, radicals. In fact, the radicals mostly kept their mouth shut and were ready to lie about their loyalty as everything else. One of the men who refused to sign was a professor of mine who was very conservative, and suddenly became a hero of the left for his refusal to sign because he felt that uh, it represented a, a status interference into the academic community. Uh, I told him, and he was not happy with my argument, that it was a state institution and a state had uh, a right to demand elementary loyalty to the American system. It was not asking you to be a Republican or a Democrat or anything uh, hard and fast. It simply said you could not be dedicated to the overthrow of the United States and the substitution of a Marxist system. So within limits uh, I think we can begin I hope with common consent by conceding that institutions have a right and even a duty to require an elementary loyalty but what political correctness or PC has become 
is an instrument on the part of the left which now commands most of our institutions of higher learning to silence anyone who is conservative or to borrow them from uh, the faculty. And it has become a very ugly instrument of that sort. A man who uh, is a Christian has very little chance of getting a job now, especially if he is orthodox. One uh, very brilliant scholar I know was uh, had to drop out of the doctoral program at an English university because his dissertation had to do with the uh, influence of Christianity on culture. And they were insistent that a superstition cannot influence a culture. So he either had to drop out or be fucked out, and he dropped out. Just uh, three days ago, Sunday, Howard Phillips was telling me that, uh, and I was aware of the situation, a brilliant young man who was about to get his doctorate. He was the top man in the history department of this particular uh, school in the East. But when they found out he was a Christian, they kicked him out. So this is what uh, PC or political correctness is about. Our friend, Dr. Dwight Murphy, in the Midwestern College, just led a campaign against political correctness, which was proposed by the faculty. And he managed to have it suppressed by a majority of seven. It was a tough fight. Now, as you know, the... Uh, the application is not, is not only applied to the faculty, but also to the students. Yes. And the students are then, if they're convicted of having said something that might be considered sexist or racist, and these are very elastic characterizations, are then put into remedial classes where they are indoctrinated in the correct attitude. That's what the Chinese communists do. That's what the Chinese communists did. That's what uh, all the communist countries did. They, uh, they, they insisted upon an open confession. They insisted upon an open apology. And then they had re-education courses. Uh, Vietnam has re-education camps and China still has, and uh, I'm sure Cuba still has, if there's anybody brave enough to need re-education. This, of course, is totalitarian. And the lesson that's being taught in the colleges is that you do not have free speech. Now, that's a very bad lesson to teach Americans. You get ahead... You, you get along by going along. 
and you lose by speaking up. Well, my definition of political correctness is intellectual terrorism. Very good. It's uh, it's uh, an insidious coercion that we see all around us, and uh, but I think there's a positive side to it. You cannot have that kind of contained frustration, kicking people out of universities and denying them uh, credentials in their particular discipline. And I think it uh, gives rise to the possibility of a rebirth of Christian universities or Christian-based uh, schools. This is exactly what we need. If someone would provide us with the funding, we'd get to work on it. One of the very, very powerful books of the 80s was by someone who after, I believe, 22 years was finally released from one of Castro's prison, Valadares, I believe was his name, and the title of the book, Beyond All Hope. And the point he made there, that he had been arrested for a very a harmless remark, which had only one fault, it displayed an independent mind. And the goal of the tortures that he and others were subjected to was to break every one of them into uh, agreeing with the party line, into singing the praises of Castro, into talking of the glories of the new Cuba. They knew that all this was hypocrisy. That no one in the prisons who went along with their classes and joined them had an element of honesty. They were just trying to get out of the endless torture. And what the author said was, and he resisted to the last, they knew that by getting them to agree to the political correctness program, they were being turned into moral zeros. The goal of it was to make moral zeros of all the prisoners. Then, men who were moral zeros could be turned loose and would no longer be a problem, no longer a threat to society. And I believe that the universities today are dedicated with all the passion of their being to turning people into moral zeros so that our students are at risk in these universities. I regularly get calls from people asking, where can I send my son? And... Uh, Probably you heard uh, Dr. Ellsworth McIntyre describe his own experiences going to two schools ostensibly thoroughly reformed and safe for the children. And he said in one, uh, he walked in and in the lobby there was a couple virtually copulating on the Davenport. 
and he saw every evidence of moral looseness. At the other, they told him proudly that the uh, girls and boys had to leave one another's bedrooms at 2 a.m. Uh, so it was obvious there wasn't a fit school that he could find anywhere. And I don't know of any, so I tell parents, send them to the school close by where your children can stay at home and you can control their lives while they are at the university. It's a very interesting point that pornography is shown in films and they have sex education classes that the dormitories are uh, integrated with sexually and racially but yet these people claim to have such tender sensibilities that they are deeply offended if anyone points out the differences between the races and the cultures. Yes. Now, when I was a boy, I was taught, of course, that all races and cultures had rights and certain similarities. But I was also taught that to know the differences was crucial absolutely very important to know the differences because otherwise you wouldn't be able to get along. You wouldn't understand the world. And here students are degraded for saying that there is a difference between men and women. The most elemental of all differences mandated by God. Yes. That's a... (laughs) I was always impressed by the uh, the uh, contrast back in uh, the 60s at uh, SF State when they inaugurated these black studies programs to the exclusion of essentially white studies or Western civilization, to the total exclusion. There is a, an anthropologist, a social anthropologist named Edward T. Hall, who has written some books on... Uh, cultural matters. The latest that I read was entitled Beyond Culture and I wouldn't say that it was a book I totally agreed with. Certainly I didn't agree with all his conclusions but I did, did was interested in some of the cases and experiments that they, he and his colleagues conducted. For instance they videotaped people in conversation both men and women in conversation with one another without the sound and also blacks talking to one another and whites talking to one another and they found that there was a correlation to body movement there are certain postures and attitudes and body movements which the people engaged in hand and arms and legs and feet and switching from foot to foot and so forth. He said almost like rudimentary dances. If you speeded the film up, mm-hmm. it would look like a dance. And he said there was a discernible and marked difference between black groups talking to one another and white groups talking to one another and then black and white talking to one another in which you would see the dissimilar body movements. Now, I don't know whether they've shot him yet or not, because the book was printed in the 70s, 
maybe he's retired and he's safe. But I'm sure that if he was on a faculty today, he would be dismissed. Yes. Well, at the end of the Middle Ages, the university's stature was so shattered by its stupidities that it took centuries for the university to recover. And I think we may possibly be facing a serious similar problem. More and more of the innovative thinking is coming out of industrial laboratories, out of independent men. Uh, the federal government has done a, a disservice to the future in that its tax plan has hurt industrial research and development. But this is still the most fertile area of new thinking and new development in the scientific field, in the industrial field. Similarly, a great deal of the uh, thinking that is most telling with regard to the future is no longer from within the university circles. Well, unfortunately, the press takes its cue from the universities. Yes. Now, the press is politically correct. Yes. We see it on television, and we hear it, and we see it in all the publications. They all take a politically correct attitude on the issues of the day. The uh, Even the newsletters... Even the so-called independent newsletters are politically correct. They're very careful about what they report, what they comment on, and what they say. Uh, I'd never believed I would see such conformity in this country. I'm sure that it's, it's only skin deep because it breaks out every so often in eruptions here and there. But nevertheless... Officially, we have now turned into a one-issue country where every issue has only one side. On the abortion issue, I have never expected to hear anyone attacking abortion on television or on the stage or in the theater or in lecture halls. Well, in the uh, economic newsletter realm, if anyone speaks too freely, they will very often be subjected to a tax investigation. It becomes so costly that they have to be careful uh, how they write. So there is a censorship of sorts. Uh, the multitude of little presses springing up from coast to coast is startling. And these presses are bringing out things that heretofore uh, were not in the public forum. Precisely because uh, they're totally outside the intellectual establishment. The intellectual establishment uh, represents what in the late Middle Ages was called the reign of the dunces. And we again have the reign of the dunces in our media and 
among our intelligentsia. It's very interesting. I wonder how far it will go. I'm afraid it will lead to some terrible things because it's almost like comparing it to an argument between individuals. When one falls silent, the air changes because silence long continued is a sign of physical problems to come. To outlaw certain views or to outlaw criticism is to create a very dangerous civil, uh, situation. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's healthy. I would rather hear people complain than to see them totally silent. Well, I think it's interesting here recently that the Green Party has qualified to get on the ballot in California, but David Duke cannot because he doesn't qualify for matching funds. And what difference should matching funds uh, make as far as to the ballot? Yeah, as far as getting on the ballot, two separate things. I would think that they want, if they're going to allow one diverse point of view, then they should also allow a balancing diverse point of view to relieve the frustration. If they keep it strictly on one end, then it's going to build up frustration on the other end. Well, it reminds me of a short story by Ludwig Bemelmans. Remember him? He oh, was, yeah. He was an excellent writer. Ludwig Bemelmans wrote a little story about spring in a totalitarian country. Of course, the dictator announced that it had arrived. It was the 1st of May. So immediately the flowers all burst into bloom, the grass turned green, the birds began to sing, excepting over the house of the enemy of the state where it was still snowing. And the whole thing went on in that area. It had uh, in the streetcars, they they had one first, second, and third class streetcar. Then they had a special car at the end for the enemy of the state that had no floor in it. He, was, he had to run along inside. And I thought of that when Duke was running for governor of Louisiana. The president of the United States and every single newspaper in the land went into conniptions. He got the greatest press of anybody in the country. It was as though this country was going to be destroyed. They are fighting to prevent him, and they are using illegal means to prevent him from getting on the ballot in a number of states. That's, of course, in the name of our freedom. Yes. Now, I have no use for David Duke, but I have no use for those who are restraining his freedom. Well, uh, one of the things that I think is very revealing is that in the last year, a record number of newspapers died. And they died deservedly. Yes. And the others are continuing to go downhill. They're having great problems in advertising yes. and in publications. 
Now you can, I haven't done it, but you could go across the United States and pick up a newspaper at every town that you go through, and you would find the same headlines, the same features, the same comic strips, the same editorials, and the same attitude and the same argument from one end of this country to the other. But meanwhile, there is a startling increase in the number of newsletters. Oh, yes. Tell me about it. (laughs) Well, I think the demise of the newspapers, uh, because of the advertising, declining advertising revenues as a picture of the country as a whole, you know, you've got steel companies that no longer have advertisements, you have oil companies that no longer exist that don't have advertisements. I mean, those were big, big clients of newspapers. Well, the newspapers, for some reason or another, have never seemed to regard those institutions as worthy of even a kind word. Well, they'll uh, the they'll think about them fondly when they have to padlock their front doors. I wonder if they will, because uh, I'm not sure that they can even see connections anymore. Uh, Rush was talking about causality. Uh, the people in the Northwest know that they've lost 33,000 jobs because the spotted owl prefers first-generation uh, trees and won't roost anywhere else. I don't know how the owl determines this. That's a, a lie. Of course it's a lie. It's an yes. obvious lie. Yes. I mean, it's it's a ridiculous lie that the owl knows how, lo- how old a tree is and only goes to the old one. But they can see the connection there between environmentalism and employment when the average person realizes that environmentalism is out to the perfect environmental uh, situation I've finally decided is a graveyard there's no motion disturbing the worms or the or the birds everything is growing as it should and the people are silent well Political correctness is not meeting with favor uh, from the people. The indifference in this campaign to the uh, candidates is phenomenal. And this has been coming on for some time, but nobody is happy with any of the candidates. Pat Buchanan is the only one that has uh, engendered some enthusiasm. But by and large, people have uh, concluded that there isn't much difference between the two parties. Well, of course, the two parties have set up so many rules against third-party movements that it's very difficult to break that arm lock. But what strikes me is the lack of seriousness on the part of our government. They've watched the silence grow among the people. They've watched the people stop voting. And yet they don't see these uh, signs of danger for the government. No, uh, I think it's because of the essential Hegelianism of our age. The rational is the real. That's the fundamental principle of 
Hegelianism. What the intellectual conceives to be rational is the only reality. Therefore, the rest of us are unreal and sooner or later we're going to go their way because reality requires it. Well, the problem with rational thinking, logical thinking, is that the world is neither rational nor logical. Human beings are emotional creatures. They are spirits more than they are bodies. And once emotion comes into the situation, rationality and logic no longer apply. They no longer prevail. And we're the very silence. I remember having lunch with uh, Don McIlvenny. And I said, uh, we don't have free speech. And he said, well, look at the people in the restaurant. You can't tell them they don't have free speech. I said, I don't have to tell them. They know it. He said, how do you know they know it? I said, by their silence, by the silence on various topics. We have a situation here in Northern California. We've got a school principal who's trying to extricate himself from a quagmire of political correctness because he cracked a joke about the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge connecting fairyland to jungle land <laughs> for the past week. He's, it's been like a tar baby. He can't disconnect himself from it, and it's dragging him down. <laughs> well... Fairyland and Jungle Land are superb terms for the two cities. Well, he's right in the middle of a uh, bastion of p political correctness. Yes. The Bay Area is just a hot bed of that kind of uh, action. Well, you have two major universities in the Bay Area, California the University of California at Berkeley and Stanford, plus you have the University of San Francisco and a number of other institutions. And their influence is very powerful in enforcing PC. They are very hostile to anything that dissents from the established line. Well, once you get young people to surrender their souls, so to speak, to the establishment, to the educational establishment. What can one expect from them in the future? Well, they're very malleable. You know, this political correct thing uh, is right down into the grade schools. So that by the time the kids hit the front door of the universities, you know, they got skulls full of mush, and the professors can do anything with them that they want to. Well, the lesson is that cowardice pays and that courage is defeated. Well, you have to give them an out. You know, this is why alternative schools are necessary. And this is why there is such a major move now against the Christian school and the home school, because they are realizing that before the decade is over, half or more of the children of the United States will be in such schools. So the voucher plan is their way of attempting to control it. Uh, Bush 
quail, and Alexander, the Secretary of Education, have all worked to promote the idea, but the Pennsylvania legislature defeated their efforts. The effort now is in California and in other states. We probably will see it on the ballot here next, uh, later this year. I wonder why church groups, including denominations, have not given any thought to the idea of putting out newspapers. Well, they have put out magazines for a long, long time, but the hierarchy controls them. I just learned that uh, the Boston Pilot, the Catholic periodical there, which was one of the best circulated in the country, uh, fired within the past year its editor because he was too conservative and outspoken. And the circulation has dropped to 30,000, a mm. fraction what, what, was was, what was it? I know it was in excess of 100,000. Mm. Now, this is what happens. When churches put something out, what you get is the top-down uh, idea. How uh, can we make this magazine or this paper uh, ecclesiastically correct? Well, then, that, as soon as I said it, I thought of that, too, that they wouldn't really admit reality. No. Uh, it, it would be like an official United States daily. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, then the Christians themselves, we have, uh, after all, there's an enormous number of Christians in the United States. And I'm always surprised by the fact that, like conservatives, they never seem to get into the arena, the real arena, the everyday arena, and put out publications that appeal to the average person. It isn't necessary to educate them theologically in order to put out communicative information. Well, Otto, the number of uh, newsletters and magazines put out by the people on the Calcine mailing list... Yes, we're is, doing our best, yes. Uh, legion. Apart from our staff members, our readers are busy putting out things that deal with a specific issue mm. or with a specific church scene mm. so that uh, they are marvelous troublemakers to the uh, powers that be all over the country. I read an article recently that this is what hastened the demise of the Russian Empire was the uh, clandestine assembly the, the Samistad, of, of yes. computers. The Samistad, yes. The uh, Samistad pre preceded the computers. And uh, things went around from hand to hand. Real underground literature. Uh, we are pretty close to that. Even our our uh, newsletters, you know, are part of the PC crowd. Real underground literature hasn't reached us yet. And it's going to have to get a lot more candid than it is today. 
Well, I think you'll really see underground literature if you get a publication dealing with the IRS and the federal bureaucracy. And naming names. And naming names, yes. And naming the judges. Yes. And connecting the judges with the decisions. And yes. naming the agents and the agencies. Yes. With the regulations. And calling attention to all the homosexual judges on the federal benches that Jimmy Carter named to office. He named more judges than any other president for a long, long time because the federal judgeships were expanded. Expanded, yes. So that alone could be a remarkable subject for a newsletter, but it would take a lawyer who would promptly be disbarred, probably, and a great deal of footwork, legwork, to collect all the data. You can't find out anymore. For instance, I've inquired recently how one goes about finding out how local judges rule on various types of cases, not specific cases, but to just accumulate percentages of how many times does he uh, sentence, uh, give the maximum sentence for a particular type of crime. That kind of information used to be published in the press so that people had some yardstick to measure a judge uh, with. Now you can't get that information anymore. I was just stonewalled. Uh, in the press, uh, every time some federal judge issues an order, I mean, unless it's some guy who gets on television like Kelly did down in uh, uh, Wichita, uh, you never find out what the no. name of the guy is that issues no, his the order and his decree. The judiciary. the judiciary is the shadow branch of our three branches. And, of course, in Stygian darkness is the agencies. And then today... Uh, they announced that the Bar Association will not release to the public the names of attorneys who are disciplined for infractions, That's for right. breaking the law. They're protecting the reputation of the lawyers, which seems to me like a lost cause. Yeah. Well, what is happening here and there across the country is that women are forming groups and they are monitoring uh, various groups, say a council meeting, board of supervisors meeting, a judge, and so on. So this is a step in the right direction. Well, yes it is. Why, uh, how is this, do they call themselves with any special names? Or? No, these are small it's just organizing groups. in various communities. Yes, yes. That's a wonderful sign. Yes. Well, accountability is all but gone as far as the politicians and the judges are concerned. That's how they become so arrogant. That's what led to this in part. Some judges were so arrogant uh, in cases involving uh, rape and child molestation that a great many women uh, felt that they had to do something about it. And they've expanded into many areas now so that uh, a great many women are active in this sphere. Well, we have something else which we're going to have to take some pay some attention to, and that is 
the racial and ethnic nature of our criminal class. I think it's long overdue to identify those that are committing these terrible crimes. Of course, all races and ethnic groups commit crimes. But we would at least have a more rational and, and realistic idea of who is committing the crimes if they describe the criminal. How do they have solved the problem? I heard the other day that there's a company now that puts out trading cards, like baseball cards of serial killers, like Jeffrey Dahmer and all the rest of these children. Selling them to children. Exactly. And we don't we we don't know the name of the company, and nobody is going to interview the officers of the company so that we have some idea of who these bastards are. Mm -hmm. We have a press that does not report. Dahmer is not cited as a homosexual after the first uh, article or two uh, describing what his own statements that has dropped out of the news. Well, we've had a series of homosexual serial murderers, mm-hmm. and yet when the subject comes up, we're told that it's simply a uh, an alternate lifestyle. Yes. Nobody talks about the dark side of homosexuality, which consists of hatred and violence, because it is, you know, a form of insanity. Well, they bullied the Psychiatric Association into taking it off of the list of uh, mental aberrations. Yes, that was some time ago. Yes. There is no coverage of, no, uh, excepting in special places, no coverage of the American Historical Society meeting, no coverage of uh, many other scholastic gatherings in which weird, weird subjects and topics are discussed. Well, uh, Herbert Feldrick recently called attention to the fact that uh, a conference of Marxist professors in our universities was held with over a thousand present. No coverage in the press. No coverage in the press. Well, now that's because the press is politically correct. Yes. Political correctness, in other words, is an official orthodoxy that hides everything that they don't want to discuss. I wonder how many people are aware of this conflict that they have going in San Francisco with the uh, this group that uh, is trying to legitimize sex between uh, men and boys that meets in the public library down there. I wonder how many people outside of the Bay Area uh, in this country are aware that that's going on. Well, what, we're, what we are told about is the fact that some parties want homosexuals to be scoutmasters. Yes. Well, the Man Boy Love Association is now a national group. They parade. They are increasingly becoming aggressive in uh, formulating their position and taking a hostile attitude towards anyone who criticizes them. Well, they feel safe to do so. Well, the, the politically correct umbrella all of these groups now are standing underneath the politically correct umbrella. Yes, they are. And this is why I drew a line 
before between the Weimar Republic and our situation. This was true in Germany during yes, the twenties. Yes. It was it was the same. The same permissiveness the same uh, expression of these ideas in the media and in films it permeated everything. Yes, it did. It drove the Germans crazy. Mm -hmm. You think the same thing will happen here? Well, if you if you gag people, if you gag people and you tell them that things that turn their stomach are perfectly all right and that they don't have the right to protest or even criticize, what would you expect to happen? You know, I hate to, you know, they, it's like the Scotchman who decided to feed his horse sawdust and gave it green glasses. It worked fine for a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> the, the press is putting green glasses on us and giving us sawdust. <laughs> well, uh, one item model that will confirm your thesis is this. There is a growing revulsion in Italy for what they have, for the masses of Arab and Turkish and black immigrants who are turning the country into a nightmare of lawlessness. And a candidate now for their national assembly is Benito Mussolini's granddaughter running on the fascist ticket. Is that so? Yes. Interesting. That's and interesting. She says the people, she's an attractive young woman, she says the people have had it and she feels they are appreciative of the order her grandfather provided. My goodness. Now that's an ominous sign. That is an ominous sign. Well, I saw another ominous sign on the CNN tonight. The Mexicans are grouping together on the Mexican side of the border in groups of hundreds and they are running as hundreds across the border and they're running onto the freeway and the customs officers are afraid to go into the freeway in the middle of the traffic to get them so they're simply flooding into the United yes. States and this is filmed and Mr. Bush, what is Mr. Bush campaigning about? I've forgotten. Oh, the uh, National Health Program. Yes. They can't take care of the elderly now, and they're talking about taking care of everybody. Yes. And it's going to bankrupt the country faster than uh, they're ever kept. Well, it'll come, with, it'll come with, with health price controls. And it'll have the same effect on the medical industry as price controls had on petroleum industry uh, during the shortage. The Wall Street Journal has an editorial on it. I forget what they call it. Not Never Neverland, but something similar. But the, the idea that people are now running across our border in mobs 
is incredible. It's happening all over Europe. They're pouring in from North Africa, from Turkey, from the Soviet Union, and uh, Browning's uh, belief that in time millions would be on the Atlantic shores deluging Europe seems likely to come to pass. You remember the book, The Camp of the Saints? Vaguely. Well, it was... <clears throat> the uh, author simply said that there are armadas from India and other parts of the Orient, whole boatloads and whole flotillas landed on the shores of France and they just ran ashore. And uh, they, I don't know whether it was apocryphal or not, but uh, I was told by somebody that when Deng, the dictator of China, was came over here and got the red carpet from, who was it, Carter? What administration? I think it was Carter's administration. Remember, he was wined and dined from one end of the country to the other. They even showed him in Texas at a rodeo with a big hat that something was said about Chinese coming to this country and whoever said it on the American side said we could we could accept more he said fine I'll send you 20 million yes now it's not politically correct to hold this conversation it's a good thing we're not on the faculty anywhere we would be doomed yes we would We're damned sufficiently already. <laughs> well, we can be proud of our enemies. Yes. Well, we don't have much time left, but I think we ought to uh, recognize the fact that all this is known to God and is in, in, in His sovereign plan. And that God's purpose is to shape the things that are so that only those things that are unshakable may remain. And I believe when this is over, we will be stronger than ever. And the Bushes and the Carters and uh, the Cuomos and all those people are going to be swept aside. I do not see them enduring because what they manifest is a will to death. All they that hate me, says God, love death. And the will of death is, to death is very prevalent in our civilization. I, as you know, wrote a book on Freud some years ago. And... Freud was very perceptive as well as very foolish. He saw two main uh, urges in man. One, a will to life. The other, a will to death. And knowing only fallen man, not Christian man, he felt that the will to death was overpowering in people and it would triumph. So in his correspondence with Einstein, he made it clear he had no hope in the Soviet Union or anything else, that he could only see the more man 
develop these powers, the more the will to death would predominate. And I think we are going to see this will to death on the part of humanistic men, politically correct men. They are suicidal. They are killing the world as they have known it. And in its place, I believe, will come a better order. Well, of course, Freud never allowed himself to be analyzed. No. And the father of a psychoanalysis refused to undergo psychoanalysis. So he did not analyze himself. He did not analyze his own ideas. And a society, he was right about this, self-analysis is essential. And I think he took from the church the whole idea of the confessional and distorted it into the psychiatric session. But a nation that doesn't analyze itself is engaged in an effort toward death. Just like a man who doesn't analyze himself can never overcome his own errors and weaknesses. And this is where the political correctness, I think, is the most dangerous because it's stopping free speech and it's stopping the analysis of our problems. The open and public debate which every country has to have in order to maintain a healthy situation. And of course it's also stopping all religious talk. Mm -hmm. Yes, but religious books are being published in greater numbers and selling more than ever before. So there is an underground movement that's coming to the fore. We have a very short time left. Douglas, would you like to make a final comment? Well, the political correct thing, uh, I think, is a temporary aberration. And uh, I think it will fall of its own weight out of the frustration of people who want to think for themselves. I think Christian children who attend Christian Christian schools uh, who are given the ability to think for themselves will break the break the lock. And uh, that's the best hope for the future. Well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.